and that we can worship well in our hearts. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have a mansion. Pray. Amen. I've never been there. They tell me it's nice. I live in hotels. I tear out the walls. I have accountants who pay for that all. They say I'm crazy, but I have a good time. I'm just looking for clues at the scene of the crime. Life's been good to me so far. My Maserati does 185. I lost my license. Now I don't drive. I've got a limo. I ride in the back. I lock the doors in case I'm attacked. I'm making records. My fans, they can't wait. They write me letters. They tell me I'm great. So I got me an office. I got gold records on the wall. Send me an email. Leave me a message. Maybe I'll call. Lucky I'm sane after all I've been through. I can't complain, but sometimes I still do. Life's been good to me so far. I go to parties sometimes until four. It's hard to leave when you can't find the door. It's tough to handle all this fortune and fame. Everybody's so different. I haven't changed. They say I'm lazy, but it takes all my time. I keep on going. Guess I'll never know why. Life's been good to me so far. I heard that song this week. It's such a singable song, right? You know what I'm saying? Joe Walsh, Life's Been Good. I love that song. I could have used Kanye West, but the language is a little bit much. And um, I don't think you would have appreciated that. And I I didn't realize when I looked up Kanye West lyrics, a lot of it is just gibberish. I didn't realize, like, I have no idea what the guy's saying. But he thinks pretty highly of himself, that's for sure. But, (laughs) but, you know, I wanted to give you, like, sort of an image of a prideful song. Compare that to the Humble King, which we're going to sing after the sermon, I think it's I, for this one time, I've asked Vinny to include a song. I usually never do that. Uh, it's by Brenton Brown, if I say his name correctly. But he says, Oh, kneel me down again here at your feet. Show me how much you love humility. Oh, Spirit, be the star that leads me to the humble heart of love I see in you. You are the God of the broken, friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary, embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are, the heart, you are the God of the humble. You are the humble king. Here in the dusty ground, bow with kings. There where wise men laid before their offerings. I lay no golden crown here at your feet. Just this, my broken life, I offer thee. So Walsh, Joe Walsh spins this sort of comical story of this very prideful person, right? I love that song. I love to sing it, um, but it's not what I want to be. Brown exalts Jesus, our humble king, which is a very unique thing, right? Looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, this is sort of our intro sermon into the next uh, few weeks leading up into and to after Christmas, actually. And we see this humble image of Jesus in a powerful and moving description in this passage. Philippians 2, 1 through, 1 through 11, it says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one of, my, of one mind. Do nothing out of vain or selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking 
your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, here's the important part, right? Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, Wow! in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge confess, that's the other translation, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a a good passage. Give me an amen on that one. Amen, right? (laughs) By the way, I ate a little too much for Thanksgiving, so my pants are a little tight. I've got this, we pastors let you into our mind, I'm just, you know, your pants get tight and then your zipper kind of goes down on you all the time, that's what I'm nervous about. I'm very thankful for these books right now. (laughs) But as we think about humility, why does humility matter? What does it matter that you're humble? I mean, when you're a kid, you don't really care about humility, right? My, sorry if I'm picking on my kids, but my kids, like, they love people like Kanye West, you know, because they're arrogant and they're like, yeah, you know. But you get older, you're like, nah, hmm. I, they're childish, they seem stupid, <laughs> they seem kind of dumb, you know, and, and all that bravado and things like that. And we realize that the opposite of humility, and that is pride, is so damaging. It is so damaging, isn't it? John Stott wrote, uh, pride is your greatest enemy, humility is your greatest friend. It's hard to be humble though, isn't it? It's not something you can just conjure. C.S. Lewis regarded pride as the great sin. And that's probably the one thing that I want to get across to you today. Pride might be defined as the absence of humility, I would, I would think. And as humanity has concluded that God is dead, pride is sort of released from all restraint, becoming this juggernaut, allowing or destroying life and, 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 and relationship at worst, and at best, just sort of keeping individuals quietly sort of blind to the love and the freedom that they could experience in relationship with Jesus. Thomas Terence wrote, what, what throughout history has been recognized as the deadliest of vices uh, is now almost celebrated as a virtue in our culture. Pride and arrogance. Think about who we vote for. And I'm not just picking on Donald Trump. We, we, want our, we want our leaders to be a little arrogant. You want your surgeon to be kind of a jerk, right? You want him to be so confident that you, wouldn't, you would never want to have dinner with him, but you'll let him cut open your body, right? We, we value these things in, in this society. It's strange, right? Sorry, I'm off kilter here. Uh, but he continues, pride and arrogance are conspicuous among the rich, powerful, successful, famous celebrities, and even some religious leaders. It's also alive and well in ordinary people, including each of us. Yet few of us realize how dangerous it is to our souls and how greatly it hinders our intimacy with God and love for others. Humility, on the other hand, is often seen as a weakness. And, and few of us know much about it or pursue it. 
In the chapter entitled The Great Sin uh, of his book Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis wrote this. He said, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all that are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It's the root of everything, right? It's the complete anti-God state of mind. Isn't that true? It's pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation and every family since the world began. I would agree with him. Pride is the one great impediment to intimacy with God and intimacy with others. It's the locust that eats away at the ground, uh, the the growth of, of peace in relationships. It should be soberly addressed in us. We should ask the Holy Spirit to crucify our pride. But do you do that, right? Because you have to make a conscious effort to do that. You have to stop and say, God, crucify my pride. Make me humble. I can't make myself humble. Right? Make me humble. That's a scary prayer because you don't know what's going to (laughs) happen as a result of that prayer, right? Because you're asking God to move, to make you humble sometimes hurts. Sometimes it's embarrassing. So Lewis, in that quote, he summarizes the great thinking of all the other you know, great saints through the ages, you know, Augustine and Aquinas and Calvin and Luther and all these other great thinkers of the Christian, uh, uh, the Christian family agreed and taught that pride it was the root of sin. But it's not just Christian writers who seem to agree with that. A Harvard psychologist wrote on neuroses, And as I looked up the definition of neuroses, it seems like we're all a little neurotic. He says, any neurotic is living a life which is in some respects is in which in some respects is extreme in its self-centeredness. The region of his misery or her misery, to be fair here, uh, represents a complete preoccupation with himself or herself. The very nature of the neurotic disorder is tied to pride. You don't hear psychologists talk about pride too much, do you? Right? If the sufferer is hypersensitive, resentful, captious, he may be indicating a fear that he will not appear to advantage in competitive situations where he wants to show his worth. If he is chronically indecisive, he is showing fear that he may do the wrong thing and be discredited. If he is over-scrupulous over and self-critical, he may be endeavoring to show how praiseworthy he really is. Think about that statement right there. Because usually we think people that are like self-loathing, they're really not, oh, they're, they're nice. No, they're, that's actually really damaging and it's very prideful. Right? To live as the victim is actually a very prideful thing. Uh, Then he continues, thus, most neuroses are, from the point of view of religion, mixed with the sin of pride. I wouldn't say mixed. I would say they are. In short, we're all a bunch of neurotic, prideful messes. Because, as I said, the definition of neuroses seems to cover just about everybody I know, including myself. I will say in humility. Right? (laughs) But pride is the great sin. 
It is the great sin. It's the devil's most effective and destructive tool in our lives. Spiritual leaders, Catholic, Orthodox, Eastern Orthodox, you know, uh, Protestant leaders all across the board uh, unite around this conviction. We all agree on it because it is so vigorously and so clearly taught in Scripture. Pride first rears its ugly head in Genesis chapter 3, and we've all read it, where we see the devil using pride to seduce Adam and Eve. And in the appropriate form of a serpent, that thing which sort of waits and strikes when you least expect it, you know, his approach was simple and it was very deadly. It brought death. First, he contradicts what God had said about eating the fruit and he charged God with lying, right? Very important points. This rejection of God's word introduced to them the 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 hitherto uh